Hello, everybody. You can probably tell by the mysterious film noirish music that this is a special Sounds Like Radio Vast Library of Sound edition. Hello, I am your humble host. I come here every once in a while to present some special programs here on Sounds Like Radio, veering from the normally light-hearted music and Gildersleeve programs to the more serious fun too. Yes, indeed, friends, it is time for the vast library of sound film noir on the radio. Well, tonight we're going to be listening to a program originally broadcast over the BBC radio network from 1977 until 1987, a span of 10 years. However, most of the programs in the series were all done in 1977. They waited 10 years to do the last program in the series, Farewell, My Lovely, that was the one broadcast in 1988. Tonight, though, we are going to be listening to the very first broadcast of Philip Marlowe on the BBC Radio Network. Philip Marlowe, originally broadcast September 26, 1977. And now, here we are broadcasting it for you, our Sounds Like Radio exclusive audience. We do hope you will enjoy this. I read all of the Philip Marlowe books and enjoyed every one of them. The Big Sleep actually was the very first Philip Marlowe book I ever read, so it seems sort of appropriate that it's the first radio drama we present here on Sounds Like Radio. Listen. We present The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler, dramatized by Bill Morrison, starring Ed Bishop as Philip Marlowe with Robert Beatty as General Sternwood. The Big Sleep. California, 1939. Will you wait a moment, please? Uh, sure. It was 11 o'clock in the morning in mid-October With the sun not shining and a look of rain I was standing in the hallway of the Sternwood place Over the entrance doors, which would have let in a troop of elephants There was a stained glass panel showing a knight in dark armor Rescuing a lady who was tied to a tree she had no clothes on, but she had some very long and convenient hair. He was fiddling with her knots and not getting anywhere. If I lived in this house, I would sooner or later have to climb up there and help him. He didn't seem to be really trying. I waited for the butler to come back. I was wearing my powder blue suit with dark blue shirt, tie and display handkerchief, black brogues, and black wool socks with dark blue clocks on them. I was neat clean, shaved, and sober. I was everything a well-dressed private detective ought to be. I was calling on four million dollars. My, you are tall, aren't you? I didn't mean to be. Handsome, too. And I bet you know it. 
What's your name? Riley. Doghouse Riley. What are you, a prize fighter? Not exactly. I'm a sleuth. Uh, you're making fun of me. Uh-huh. What? You heard me. You're just a big tease. <laughs> you're awfully tall. <sighs> nice. What if I hadn't caught you? You always would. You're cute. I'm cute, too. <laughs> <coughs> General Stanford will see you now in the conservatory. Excuse me. Any time. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Who is that? The General's younger daughter, Miss Carmen, sir. You ought to wean her. She looks old enough. I'll lead on. General, this is Mr. Philip Marlowe. How do you like your brandy, sir? Any way at all. Bring brandy. Yes, sir. Sit down. You may take your coat off. It's too hot in here for a man with blood in his veins. You are looking at a very dull survival of a rather gaudy life, a cripple in a chair. There's very little I can eat, and my sleep is so close to waking that it's hardly worth the name. I seem to exist largely on heat, like a newborn spider. And these orchids are an excuse for the heat. You like orchids? Not particularly. Huh. You may smoke. I like the smell of tobacco. I have to indulge my vices by proxy. I'll blow it around. Orchids are nasty things. Their flesh is too much like the flesh of men. Uh, Brandy. I'll uh, watch you drink it. Thanks. Tell me about yourself, Mr. Marlowe. I suppose I have the right to ask. Sure. <clears throat> well, there's not much to tell. I'm 33 years old, went to college once, and can still speak English if there's any demand for it. I worked for the district attorney as an investigator once, which is how you reached me. I'm unmarried because I don't like policemen's wives. You didn't like working for the district attorney? I was fired. <laughs> I test very high on insubordination, General. I'm glad to hear it. Always did myself. What do you uh, know about my family? I'm told you are a widower with a couple of daughters still in the dangerous 20s. One was married three times, the last to an ex-bootlegger named of Rusty Regan. That's all. Did any of this strike you as peculiar? I always got along with bootleggers myself. I'm very fond of Rusty he was the, the the breath of life to me while he lasted. He used to spend hours here sweating like a pig drinking brandy by the court, telling stories of his time in the Irish Revolution. Ridiculous marriage, of course. He went away a month ago without a word. Meantime, I'm being blackmailed again. I would have been sorry for anyone who tried that while Rusty was around. You said again. 
Yes, about ten months ago, I paid a man named Joe Brody $5,000 to let my younger daughter, Carmen, alone. Now, look on this envelope. This is the new demand. Oh, <clears throat> three promissory notes for $1,000 each, signed by Carmen, to Arthur Gwyn Geiger. I see he deals in rare books. And he admits their gambling death, but wants you to honor them. Who is this Geiger? I haven't the faintest idea. What does Carmen say? If I asked her, she'd only suck her thumb. General, uh, do I have to be polite, or can I just be natural? <laughs> I haven't noticed that you suffer from many inhibitions. Do the two girls run around together? I think not. I think they go their separate and slightly divergent roads to perdition. Carmen is a child who likes to pull the wings off flies. Vivian is smart. Neither has the moral sense of a cat. <laughs> Nor have I, for that matter. I presume they have all the usual vices. I need not add that a man who indulges in parenthood for the first time at the age of 54 deserves all he gets. Your conclusions? I'd pay. Why? It's a question of a little money against a lot of annoyance. I have pride, sir. Well, I can take this Geiger off your back if that's what you want. It may cost a little, and it won't get you anything. There's more behind this. You're on their list. A moment ago, you said pay. But now you say it won't get me anything. Do your daughters have money of their own? No, sir. Oh, Carmen is still a minor... I give them generous allowances. Then this sort of thing will happen again. It might be easier to stand for a certain amount of squeeze. I'm a rather impatient man, Mr. Marlowe. What are your charges? I get 25 a day in expenses when I'm lucky. It seems reasonable enough for removing... You got a deal with this Geiger if he turns out within hooting distance of being on the level? The matter is now in your hands. Well, I'll take him out. He'll think a bridge fell on him. I'm sure you will. No, excuse me. I'm tired. I left him among his orchids, which had stalks like the newly washed fingers of dead men. The butler told me Vivian, Mrs. Rusty Regan, wanted to see me. When I saw her, I wanted to see more of her. She was tall, rangy, black-haired, black-eyed. She was trouble. Her knees were dimpled, not sharp. She laid out the melodic line of her legs on the couch for me to stare at. I stared. So, you're a private detective. I didn't know they existed outside of cheap books. I do. How did you like Dad? I liked him. He liked Rusty. I suppose you know who Rusty is. Uh-huh. Rusty was Irish, earthy and vulgar at times, but he was very real, and he was a lot of fun for Dad. Rusty shouldn't have gone off like that. Dad feels very badly about it, although he won't say so. Or did he? He said something about it. You're not much of a gusher, are you, Mr. Morrow? But he wants to find Rusty, doesn't he? Yes and no. It's hardly an answer. Do you think you can find him? Why not try the Missing Persons Bureau? Dad wouldn't hear of the police being brought in. How will you go about finding him? How and when did he skip out? Didn't Dad tell you? You tell me. 
I don't see what there is to be cagey about. And I don't like your manners, Marlowe. Well, I'm not crazy about yours, Mrs. Regan. I didn't ask to see you. You sent for me. I don't mind you ritzing me or drinking your lunch out of a scotch bottle. I don't mind you showing me your legs. It's a pleasure to make their acquaintance. I don't mind if you don't like my manners. As a matter of fact, I grieve over them during the long winter evenings. But don't waste your time trying to cross-examine me. People don't talk to me like that. I ought to throw a Buick at you. Just what exactly is it you're afraid of, Mrs. Regan? God, I loathe masterful men. I simply loathe them. Dad didn't want you about that, about Rusty going off, did he? When did Regan go? A month ago, one afternoon, we just drove away without saying a word. They found the car in a private garage somewhere. Who's they? Ah, so Dad didn't tell you. The general told me about Mr. Regan, but that wasn't what he wanted to see me about. Is that what you're trying to get me to say? I'm sure I don't care what you say. Then I'll be running along. I have a date with a bookshop. Don't try to kid me. You can read, Marlowe. I did a little research into rare books in the public library, then walked into Geiger's store onto a thick blue rug that paved the floor from wall to wall. The blonde behind the desk got up slowly and swayed towards me in a tight black dress that didn't reflect any light. She walked with a certain something I hadn't often seen in bookstores. It was time to act. Can I help you? Say, would you happen to have a Ben-Hur of 1860? A first edition? A third. The one with the erratum on page 116. Oh, well, I'm afraid not. Not at the moment. Well, how about a Chevalier Audubon 1840? The full set, of course. Uh, yeah, uh, well, well, you we... do deal in rare books. Well, what do you think is on the shelves? Grapefruit? Oh, that sort of thing hardly interests me. They're just the usual vulgarity. Oh, well, Mr. Geiger is not in at the moment. Might he be in later? Not till very late. Oh, too bad. Well, I'll just sit down and wait in one of these charming chairs. I have rather a blank afternoon. Nothing to think about but my trigonometry lesson. Uh, um. What? Yeah, oh, oh, yes. <clears throat> Can I help you, sir? Uh, um. Oh, oh, yes. Um, will you wait just a moment, sir, and Carl will attend to you. Carl! Yes? Uh, uh... Oh, I see you want to exchange something, sir. Something more to your satisfaction. Would you like to step into the back room, sir? Not everything we have in stock is on show here. Is that so? Are you an established customer, sir? Oh, what do you have to do to get established? Oh, Agnes can deal with you. Oh, well, just go ahead, sir. In the back here, sir. When the customer came out of the back room, he had a new parcel. I followed him and took it off him. He didn't object. I opened it. It was just what I expected. Filth. In and out dates stamped in the front. A book rented from a lending library of elaborate smut. It seemed set to rain all day. I bought myself a pint of whiskey just to keep me warm and interested and sat in my heap and watched the very nice cars stop and the nice-looking people go into Geiger's. They were not all men. A racket like that out in the open on the boulevard seemed to mean plenty of protection. A lady in another bookstore had given me a description of Geiger. It seemed he looked like Charlie Chan with a glass eye. He wasn't too hard to recognize when he came out. 
He said an affectionate farewell to his boyfriend, Carl, and drove to his home on Laurel Canyon Drive. I followed him and sat, drinking my whiskey and waiting. Pretty soon he had a visitor. It was Carmen Sternwood. She stayed there a long time. It seemed like a nice, quiet neighborhood to have bad habits in. I got to the house as quick as I could, but I wasn't quick enough. What happened? What have you been drinking? Ether? What dope is it, Carmen? Laudanum? The modeling session is over. Somebody shot your fag photographer. Mr. Geiger is very dead. Now, let's look at the camera. No plate. That's not a development I like. Carmen, who did it? Carmen! 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 Come on, Carmen. Let's be nice. Let's put something on beside your earrings. Let's take a little walk. Carmen, I've seen naked girls before. You all have them in the same place. Now, now, come on, get up. All I want to do is wrap you in your coat. Don't be cute. I'll take a nice little walk. You're going home. I took her there in her car and left her with her maid. Then I walked back, past lighted windows in big gables, like witch houses in a forest. On a night like that, you could grow a beard waiting for a taxi. And taxi drivers remember. The body was gone. Uh, it wasn't the law. They would have still been there. And it wasn't the killer. He had left too fast. But it gave me time to find out if I could tell the story, leaving Carmen out. I found a blue book with a list. I took it home and drank too much trying to crack the code Geiger had used for his rich clients. Yeah. How's the boy? Oh, I got a hangover, Bernie. Tut, tut. Done any little jobs for General Sternwood yet? Now, why would the DA's chief investigator wish to know that? Hmm? Because a big Buick registered to him is washing about in the surf off Lido Fish Pier. Just the car? There's a guy inside it. Is it Rusty Regan? What would he be doing down there? Quit sawing, Bernie. To tell the truth, I don't know, pal. I'm dropping down to Luke's seat. You want to go along? Yeah. Then snap it up. Know him? It's not Regan. Why your interest in him? What may have skipped out? Habit. When a guy out of the liquor traffic marries a rich and pretty dame, and then waves goodbye to her and two million legitimate bucks, that makes even me think. I'm not looking for Regan. Uh-huh. Well, it looks like this kid was sapped on the side of the head, then somebody pointed the car down the pier. About ten last night. They can tell by the way the tide moved him. No witnesses? Hardly worth a ride down. He's Sternwood's chauffeur. Do uh -huh. they know about it? Not yet. I'll talk to the older daughter. Uh, leave the old man out of it if you can. He has enough troubles and he's sick. I'll try. But this will give the paper something. They haven't had a killing for days. I went back to Geiger's bookshop. The blonde was edgy. The books were being moved out of the back room. I hung around and followed the truck which delivered to an apartment block, apartment 405. Occupier, a Mr. Joseph Brody, recipient those months ago of 5,000 of the General's Greenest. I went back to my office. 
I had a reception room which I always left unlocked in case I had a client and the client cared to sit and wait. I had a client. The client had dimpled knees. Well, Marlowe, so you do get up. I was beginning to think perhaps you worked in bed like Marcel Proust. Who's he? A French writer who was a connoisseur of degenerates. Oh, I wouldn't know him. You don't put up much of a front. Uh, you can't make much money at this trade if you're honest. If you have a front, you're making money or expect to. Are you honest? Painfully. How did you ever get into this slimy business then? How did you come to marry a bootlegger? Let's not start quarreling again. I I've been trying to get you on the phone all morning. About your chauffeur. So, you know about him. Did you use the Buick last night? No, I was playing the tables at Eddie Marr's club at Las Alindas. He had no permission to take the car. Poor kid. He was in love with Carmen. You don't get much of that in our circle. And she played him along? Oh, that was long ago. Anything else about him? He had a police record. He didn't know the right people. That's all a police record means in this rotten, crime-ridden country. Now, I didn't come to talk about him. Can you tell me yet what my father wanted to see you about? Not without his permission. Was it about Carmen? I can't even say that. Take a look at this photograph. I got it by messenger this morning. Ah, Carmen looks a little doped. They want 5000 for the negative, or they give the stuff to a scandal sheet. They? I don't know. Some woman telephoned me after this was delivered. Well, there's nothing in the scandal sheet angle. The law would protect you. What else? Does there have to be something else? Yes. Well, she said there was a police jam connected. I don't know what kind. Uh, where's Carmen now? At home, in bed. Her maid says she was sick last night. I was out losing my shirt at a roulette wheel. Uh, what was the chauffeur doing last night with your car? You think he was involved in this? I don't rule him out. Uh, can you get the 5000 in cash right away? Not unless I tell Dad. We'll borrow it back from Eddie Mars. I might. How about telling the police? Well, that's a very good idea, but you won't do it. Won't I? You have to protect your father and your little sister. The cops might turn up something they couldn't sit on, though they try in blackmail cases. Can you do anything? I think I can. But I can't tell you how. I like you. You believe in miracles. Would you have a drink in the office? Sure. I'll get the five grand. I've been a good customer of Eddie Mars. Besides, we have something else in common. The lady Rusty ran off with was Eddie Mars' wife. Doesn't that interest you? Cheers. You're the hardest guy to get anything out of. You don't even move your ears. Well, you've got what you want. A pretty good idea that I'm not looking for your husband. Rusty was no crook. He always carried 15,000 cash on him. He called it his mad money. He wouldn't need to blackmail. I'll take the photo. She has a beautiful little body, hasn't she? Uh-huh. You ought to see mine. Can it be arranged? You're as cold-blooded as ever I met, Marlowe. Or can I call you Philip? Sure. You can call me Vivian. Thanks, Mrs. Regan. Oh, go to hell, Marlowe! I didn't know just how close I wanted to get to her. Even being the chauffeur had proved terminal. 
By now, it was late afternoon. None of the early editions of the evening papers mentioned Geiger. I went back to his house, and who should I meet there but Carmen? She stood among all the fagged junk and the stink of last night's filth, sucking her thumb. A pretty, spoiled, and not very bright little girl who had gone very, very wrong, and nobody was doing anything about it. To hell with the rich. They made me sick. Hello. <laughs> what are you doing here? How much do you remember last night? I was sick last night. Why, at home. Hell you were. You remember. Before I took you home, you remember spreading yourself on that chair. Are you the police? No. I'm a friend of your father's. Oh. What do you want? Who killed Geiger? You were here. Who else knows? I don't know. Whoever took the body. Joe Brody, maybe. Joe Brody? Him? Did Brody kill him? Kill who? Christ. Yes, Joe did it. Why? I don't know. Seen much of him lately? I hate him. Are you willing to tell the police it was Joe Brody if I can kill the nude photo angle? <laughs> the photo's gone if that's what you came back here for. Probably Brody took it with him. I hate him. Carmen, this is a spot for a little old-fashioned simplicity. You're not kidding me about Brody? No. Okay. You don't give it another thought. Don't tell a soul you were here. Not even Vivian. Just leave it to Riley. Your name isn't Riley. <laughs> Vivian told me. I have to go home now. Oh, excuse the casual entrance. Is Geiger around? No, uh... We don't know just where he is. Uh-huh. Your uh, friends of his? Business acquaintances. We drop by for a book. A book, huh? We'll trot along now. Any message if Geiger comes back? We won't bother you. Uh, but you do, soldier. The girl can dust. I'd like to talk to you a little. I don't think we've anything to talk about. A kidder. I have two boys out in my car that always do just what I want them to. Goodbye, sister. Oh, yes. There's uh, something wrong around here. Look, let's you and me look around. Oh. No plate in the camera. I get the picture. What's that? A rug. Move it. Blood. A lot of blood. Does the gun make you feel better? I think we'll have some law. It's old blood. Dried blood. Just, uh... What the hell are you, soldier? Marlowe is the name. I'm a sleuth. Never heard of you. Who was the girl? A client. Geiger was trying a little blackmail. We came to talk it over. He wasn't here. The door was open. Convenient. Why would I have a key? Why do you have a key? I own this house. Geiger's my tenant. You know such lovely people. I take them as they come. I think we'll have some law. Go ahead. Call your friends downtown. Call the buttons. You'll get a big reaction from it. I don't get your game here. Maybe it just isn't your day. I know you. You're Eddie Mars. You run a club at Las Olindas, a flash gambling club for flash people. All through Prohibition, it was a nightclub, and there were two uniformed cops in the lobby every night to see that the guests didn't bring their own liquor instead of buying it from the house. Those good old days are gone, but the local law is still in your pocket with a well-greased line right into the city department. Protection. Geiger was in a racket which needed it, too. Maybe you spared him some. 
seeing he was your tenant. Geiger was in what racket? The smut book racket. Uh, I didn't find him at the store today. I came up to see about it. I find blood, you and the girl. I think that's the story. You got to him. You missed something. All his rental books were moved out of the store today. Hey, you get around. I should have thought of that, soldier. All right, talk. I'm not ready. But whoever moved the books knows what's what, and I have a guess about that. Who? That's the part I'm not ready to give out. I have a client to protect. I expected you would know the girl. No. Now, who got the books, Seamus? Why should I tell you? I might make it worth your while. I can always hear the sound of money. For doing what? What did you want, Don? Now, listen, soldier. I ask you a question, and you ask me another. Now, we're not getting anywhere. I've got my own reasons for wanting to find Geiger. I don't see any cops here, so either you don't know anything or you aren't telling them. I think you might need a little protection yourself. You're right. If I knew anything, I'd have to tell the cops. So, I've nothing to sell. So, with your permission, I'll drift. <laughs> a kidder. Well, by the way, uh, how is Mrs. Mars these days? Beat it. I don't give a damn what you know or where you go or what you do when you get there. Only take a word of advice, soldier. You leave me out of your plans or you'll wish your name was Murphy and you lived in Limerick. I hear you and she had a pal came from around there. Name of Regan. What? Uh, it's all right. I'm on my way. It was just a question. The fact that there was a connection between Eddie Mars and Rusty Regan was none of my business. Nobody had asked me to look for Regan. I was looking for a lost corpse. And somebody had the plate out of the camera. And somebody had the books. Maybe Joe Brody had the answers. Blackmail is a dirty business. I had been hired by old General Sternwood to protect his two daughters, Carmen and Vivian. Now the first blackmailer, Geiger, was dead. And the body had disappeared. Another dead man had been found off Lido Pier... Carmen was a little crazy, and Vivian was a lot scared. She had mislaid a husband called Rusty Regan, but that was none of my business. It was none of my business that he had disappeared with the wife of a big-time racketeer called Eddie Mars. The old man hadn't hired me to find Regan. All I was doing was looking for a cheap crook who thought he could take over a blackmail racket that had gone wrong, a missing body, and a couple of killers. I went to pay a call on a grifter called Joe Brody. Agnes, what? quick, get behind the curtain. Oh, yeah, sure. <clears throat> yeah? Are you Joe Brody? So what? I'm looking for Geiger. Are you at the wrong place? I don't know him. That's very funny. Go put your sense of humor somewhere else. Joe, you have the books from the back room, but I have the list of clients. We ought to talk. Uh, uh, okay. Come in. Yep. Hold it. Right there. It wouldn't bother me to use this gun. Uh, such a lot of guys around this town with so few brains. You're the second today who seems to think a gat in the hand means the world by the tail. You all watch pictures too much. Put it away, Joe. You just shut up and grab a little air while you're doing it, huh? The other one was Eddie Mars. Ever hear of him? No. Well, if he finds out where you were in the rain last night, he'll wipe you off. Well, what, 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 I, I, I beat Eddie Mars. Not even a memory. Look, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not tough. I'm just being careful. 
I don't know Hell's first whisper about you. You might be a life-taker. Now, what's your story? Uh, first, tell your lady friend behind the curtains I can see her neat little toes. Oh, uh, come on out, Agnes. The blonde from the bookstore. Ever read Ben-Hur? I knew you were trouble. How did you know we moved the books here? I followed the van. It was a dumb move. Tell me about the list. Put the gun away first. Okay. Now, talk. The list is in a code I haven't cracked yet. About 500 names. Say you have 500 smut books at a dollar a rental. Mm -hmm. We could make over 100 grand in a year. Personally, I think the blackmail angles are a big mistake. People who want secondhand sex jags are a nervous class. I think we should stick to rentals. You think Geiger ran that kind of business right out on the boulevard and I worked in it? You're crazy. If a racket like that has to exist and Hollywood is made to order for it, then right out on the street is where all the practical cops want it for the same reason they favor red light districts. Joe, are you going to let this cheesehead insult Will me? You pipe down, Agnes. Now that this guy has, has good ideas. I'll give you another. Hmm? You shot Geiger to get control. You take chances, mister. The trouble was, he wasn't alone when you walked in and whiffed him. So you land with the plate out of the camera, then came back to hide the body. That gave you time to take the books. I didn't kill him, mister. You were made to order for the rap. You can't frame me. Remember the witness. She'll tell it whatever way I say. God damn it, she would, too. I see you know Carmen. Give me the negative, Joe. Huh? I guess you think I'm dumb. No, just average for a grifter. Wait, Joe, who's that? Just, just take it easy. Take it easy, I'll, I'll answer it. I hate you, Carmen? Joe Brody. Now, Carmen, for Christ's sake, put the gun down, Carmen. I want my pictures. Carmen, Give me my pictures. Would you wait, Carmen? I want my Carmen? pictures. Hey. <laughs> Carmen. Carmen, remember me? I'm your friend. I'm a friend of your father. Carmen, give me the gun. Keep, keep, keep her away from me. I'll get your pictures for you, Carmen. I'm your friend. Just give me the gun. I want my pictures. Get under me, Brody. And be careful which pocket you put your hand in. Here they are. Just keep her away from me. You see? I told you that I'd get them for you. Here they are. A present for you. I'll give them to you if you give me the gun. I want my pictures. Then give me the gun. That's it. Here you are. You've got your pictures now. Now, why don't you just let me take care of everything for you? I'll look after all this. I'm your friend. Why don't you go home? Home? You go home and wait for me. You'll take care of me? Sure, I will. You're cute. Uh, what you see is nothing. I've got a Balinese dancing girl tattooed on my right thigh. Now, why don't you go home and wait for me? I like you. I like you a lot. Wait for me. I'll go home. I'll wait. Don't be long. Joe! Joe, are you okay? She just grazed me. Would you just let me alone? Oh, a half smart guy. That's all I ever draw. Never once a guy that's smart all the way around the course. Let's hear it all now, Joe. How did you come by the pictures? Just take the air. I got enough chinning with you. Das. You are so dumb. Even if you don't dance off up at Quentin, you'll have such a bleak, long, lonely time ahead of you. Well, you you wouldn't go to the cops. Not if you're working for the Sternwoods. I can't cover up two murders. Two murders? What what two murders? Where were you last night? I was watching Geiger's place. I wanted to know his connections. But all I see is it's a car up the street. That was me. You, 
Well, and, and, and one down where I am. It was empty. A, a Buick registered to Vivian Regan. You know where the Buick is now? Huh? It was lifted out of the sea with a dead man in it who had been sapped before the dive. Well, you can't pin that on me. Why not? The dead man was the chauffeur. He took the car without permission. Furthermore, he was sweet on Carmen and didn't like the games Geiger played with her. So he follows her, shoots Geiger, grabs the picture, and runs. You follow him. Now, what cop isn't going to believe you knocked him off and took the picture yourself? No, 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 no. I, I, I chased the guy, okay? He crashed the Buick on a corner. He hit his head, I swear, and knocked himself out. So I searched him. I found the plate. But then he wakened up and knocked me off the car and drove on, and th that's all. Where did you hide Geiger's body? You, you think I'd go back there? Well, somebody hit it. Well, oh, God, is she back again? Don't you have any other friends? Um, maybe somebody called the cops. Answer it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll... I'll go. Joe Brody? Yeah? And that was Brody, dead. By the time I got his body away from the door and got down the stairs to the front of the apartment house, the killer was away and running. A tall kid in a leather jerkin. He kept running, so he had no car. I drove around the block to get ahead of him, and when he appeared out of the darkness, I showed him Carmen's little gun and pushed him in behind the wheel of my car. It was Carl, the handsome boy from Geiger's store. You must have thought a lot of your queen, Carl. What do you want? What's it to be? Me or the cops? Is that a choice? Put your gun over in the back seat. Then we'll sit here and wait for the patrol car to pass. What's your full name? Carl Lundgren. Well, Carl, you shot the wrong guy. Joe Brody didn't kill your queen. Who said he was? You lived with him. He was like Caesar. A husband to women and a wife to men. Think I can't figure people like him and you out? Drive to Geiger's house. Just be quiet, Carl. You shouldn't have tried to take a swing at me. That's right, Carl. Feel what it's like. Just hold your breath till you can't hold it any longer. Then tell yourself you have to breathe. You're black in the face. Your eyeballs are popping out. You have to breathe. And you're sitting strapped in the clean little gas chamber. And when you take that breath, you're fighting with all your soul not to take it. And it won't be air you'll get. It'll be cyanide fumes. <gasps> I loved him. He was mine. I came home and found him. So you hid his body, then laid it out with black candles at his head and feet and promised him revenge. Yes. But you don't want to die, do you, Carl? No. Then you'd better cooperate. Plead guilty and tell your story just the way I want you to. Right? Bernie O's. This is Marlowe. Did your boys find a revolver on the chauffeur this morning? Well, that would be police business. If they did, it had three empty shells in it. How the hell did you know that? I can show you where the slugs went. Look out the window, you'll see me coming around the corner. What's the address? When Olds came, we all went to see his boss, the district attorney, Taggart Wild, who had first recommended me to General Sternwood. He was with a Captain Kronjaeger of the L.A. Police. We told our stories, and Kronjaeger began to look very nasty. I love private dicks that play murders close to the waistcoat. 
Let me ask Marlow a question. I might have take it that you did not report a murder last night and spent today foxing around so this kid could commit another murder this evening? I guess I did wrong, but I wanted to protect my client. Whoever that is. I had no reason to think the boy would go gunning for Brody. Such thinking is police business, Marlow, so maybe Brody was living on borrowed time, but a life is a life. Tell that to your coppers the next time they shoot down some scared crook running away up an alley with a stolen spare tire. All right, that's enough of that. Now, what makes you so sure, Marlow, the chauffeur shot Geiger? He had the gun, the motive, and the opportunity. What motive? A nude photo of my client. Jealousy. He was in love with her. Afterwards, he committed suicide off the pier. What have you left out, Marlow? My client is entitled to protection short of a grand jury. I suppose the word private has some meaning. You have the killers, the guns, and the motives. The blackmail angle has to be suppressed. Sure. I'd be glad to stooge for a shameless of your standing. The grand jury might also want to know how Geiger ran a smut book record out in the open. And why the police allowed it to operate for their own reasons. Uh, grand juries do ask these embarrassing questions sometimes. In a rather vain effort to find out just why cities are run as they are run. Yeah, well, look, I'm one against three here. I'm a homicide man. Books on my beat. I'll take my prisoner now. He's waiting outside. Come with me. Well, Marlowe, do you know why I'm not tearing your ear off? I expected to get both ears torn off. Mm. What are you getting for it all? $25 a day in expenses. <laughs> Just over $50 so far? About that. And for that, you're willing to get yourself in Dutch with half the law enforcement here. Well, what the hell am I to do? It's against my principles to have told as much as I did tonight without consulting the general. Cops get very large and emphatic when an outsider tries to cover up. But they do the same themselves every day to oblige their friends or anybody with a little pull. I'm still on the case. Yeah, providing Kronjager doesn't get your license. Look, Marlow, my father was a close friend of old Sternwood. I've done all I can to save him from grief. And we can save him from this one, provided you make a complete statement for the files. But in the long run, it can't be done. Not with those two daughters. Ah, they oughtn't to be running around loose. And I blame him for that. I guess he doesn't realize what the world is today. And there's another thing. I'll bet the general is afraid his runaway son-in-law that he was so fond of is mixed up in this somehow. And what he really hopes you would find out is that he isn't. The general didn't ask me to find Regan or protect him. Hmm. Well, be careful, Marlowe. Marlowe. Yeah. Move away from my door. The boss wants to talk to you. What about? What do you care? Just keep your nose clean and everything will be Jake. I smell of policemen. I'm too tired to talk, too tired to eat, too tired to think. But if you think I'm not too tired to take orders from Eddie Mars, try getting your gat out before I shoot your ears off. Nuts. You don't carry a gun. I'm not always naked. Okay, you win. I wasn't told to blast anybody. You'll hear from him. Too late will be too soon. Nuts. He went away. I grinned at my own foolishness and went into my apartment. I cleaned the little gun I had taken from Carmen and put it away. Then made myself a drink. 
Yeah. So you're tough tonight. Big, fast, and full of prickles. What can I do for you, Mars? The cops. Did you keep me out of it? Why should I? Look, I'm nice to be nice to, soldier. I'm not nice not to be nice to. Can you hear my teeth chattering? Did you keep me out of it? Uh, I guess it was complicated enough without you. Uh, well, thanks, soldier. Someday I may be able to do you a favor. Hang up and let me go to bed. You're looking for Rusty Regan, aren't you? A lot of people seem to think so, but I'm not. Well, if you were, I could give you an idea. Drop in and see me, soldier. Anytime. I had one other thing to do. I called the Sternwood house and left a message that everything was all right. And then I went to bed. All the morning papers had accounts. Captain Kronjäger got the credit for solving both murders. The Sternwoods weren't mentioned, nor was I. I went down to missing persons and discovered the general had asked them to look into Regan's disappearance. But they were dead on their feet on it. They told me nothing I couldn't have guessed. A gray sedan tailed me away from City Hall. I shook it off and went about my business, which was to come back to the office and catch up on my foot dangling. I didn't try to contact Mrs. Regan. I'd had a belly full of the Sternwood family. I had a call from a secretary saying the general might feel well enough tomorrow to thank me in person and that a check for $500 was in the post. I got out the office bottle and took a drink. I should have been happy. Regan. Rusty had certainly skipped with Eddie Mars' wife, but Mars was too much of a businessman to get involved in murder out of jealousy. It might have annoyed him, but you have to hold your teeth clamped around Hollywood to keep from chewing on stray blondes. The smart thing for me to do was to take another drink and forget the whole mess. That being the obviously smart thing to do, I called Eddie Mars and told him I was coming down to his club in Los Alindis that evening. That was how smart I was. Marlowe. Have a drink, sit down. You and I haven't anything to talk about but business. You'll have a drink and like it. Ever been here before? Only during Prohibition. I don't get any kick out of gambling. Well, you should take a look. One of your friends is out there betting the wheels. I hear she's doing pretty well. Vivian Regan. Uh, smoke? Yeah. I like the way you handled that yesterday. How much do I owe you? How much have you got? You're not talking money? Information was the way I understood it. You didn't bump Regan off, did you? No. Oh, did you think I did? I wouldn't put it past you. <laughs> A kidder. You're not uh, really interested in Regan, are you? I know somebody who is. Now, she doesn't give a damn. I mean, her father... I think he was half-scared Regan was behind the blackmail. Uh, Geiger worked it on his own. I happen to hear things in my business. Yeah. I wish I didn't know half the stuff that's brought to me. You know, knowing other people's business is the worst investment a man can make in my circle. But if the general didn't hire you to find Regan, your job is over. I've been paid off. Oh. Well, I'm sorry about that. He should hire himself a soldier like you to keep those girls home a few nights. You take the dark one. She has no money of her own, and nobody knows what's in the old man's will. 
If she wins here, she takes the money. If she loses, I end up with a fistful of promise notes. Tough. Oh, maybe I can do you a real favor someday. But all I know about Regan, you've already got from missing persons. You own a piece of them, too? Like I said, it's brought to me. Uh, you don't have anybody tailing me in a gray sedan, do you? Well, hell no. Why should I? Boss. What is it? It's Mrs. Regan. Well, what about her? Well, she's on a streak. Roulette. Uh, eight wins and two standouts in a row. On the red. How much? Uh, a grand, a crack. 16000 on the table, and she still wants to play. I... You want to watch this, Marlowe? I'll be one of the crowd. Six $1,000 bills. That covers the bet. I hope you enjoyed your evening, Mrs. Regan. Good night. Yeah, this is a gun lady. Gentle now. Sound carries in this Pacific fog. Just hand me the bag with the money in it. Nice work, Marlowe. Are you my bodyguard now? Let's go. Did you come by car? I came with a man. He passed out somewhere along the way. Very nice escort. You should see him sober. I should see him sober. Somebody should see him sober. I mean, just for the record. So it could become part of history. That brief, flashing moment soon buried in time, but never forgotten. Yeah. I even thought of marrying him. At odd times, when nothing pleasant would come into my mind. Lots of money, you know. What are you doing here, Marlowe? Eddie Mars wanted to see me. I didn't know you knew him. Let's ride in your car. Oh, take me away from here. Two coffees, black, strong, and made this year. Are you going to put that whiskey in there, mister? Uh, just a smattering. It's against the law to drink liquor in here. Oh, I won't tell anybody. Well, okay. I'll watch the street while you pour the booze. My heart's in my mouth doing this. I could get as drunk as two sailors and love it. Remember, I saw nothing. Oh, here's to it. <sighs> You have wicked eyes. What has Eddie Mars got on you? What I won tonight, I won with the five grand I borrowed off him yesterday and didn't have to use. That might make him sore. You think he sent that Lugan after you? What's a Lugan? A guy with a gun. Are you a Lugan? Sure. But strictly speaking, a Lugan is on the wrong side of the fence. I often wonder if there is a wrong side. What hold is Eddie Mars on you? Whittier, please, Marlowe. Much Whittier. How's the general? Not too well. How much does he know? 
while the DA was out to see him. Did you burn those pictures? Sure. You worry about your little sister, don't you, from time to time? I think she's all I do worry about. I worry about Dad, in a way, to keep things from him. He hasn't any illusions. Where is blood? That's the hell of it. I I don't want him to die despising his own blood. It was always wild blood, but it wasn't always rotten blood. Is it now? I guess you think so. You're just playing the part. So you shoot people. You're a killer. Me? I don't believe all I read in the papers. Oh, uh, you think I accounted for Geiger or Brody or both of them? I didn't have to, though neither of them would have hesitated to throw lead at me. That makes you just a killer at heart, like all cops. One of those dark, deadly, quiet men who have no more feelings than a butcher has for slaughtered meat. I knew it the first time I saw you. Thanks, lady. You're no English muffin yourself. Let's get out of this rotten little town. The fog's gone. Look at the surf. Yeah. Move closer. Hold me close, killer. Where do you live? Hobart Arms. I've never seen it. Want to? Yes. What has Eddie Mars got on you? You bastard. So that's the way it is. Well, kissing is nice, but your father didn't hire me to sleep with you. Men have been shot for little things like that, Marlowe. Men have been shot for practically nothing. The first time I met you, I told you I was a detective. Get it through your lovely head, lady. I work at it. I don't play at it. Eddie Mars let you win a lot of money. He sent a Lugan to get it back. I think you weren't surprised. I think it was an act staged for my benefit. What has he got on you? I loathe you, Mr. Detective. If I had a razor, I'd cut your throat just to see what ran out of it. Caterpillar blood. I liked kissing you. Take me away from here, if you would be so kind. I took her home. She didn't speak again. This time, nobody was waiting outside my apartment. I didn't switch the light on because I needed a drink bad and was in a hurry to get one, so I headed straight for the kitchenette. I brought up short in three or four feet. Something was wrong. Something on the air. A scent. (laughs) Put the light on. I look cute. Aren't I cute? Carmen. I'm all undressed here in the bed. My God. Want to see? Yeah, nice. But I've already seen it all. Remember? I'm the guy that keeps finding you without any clothes on. (laughs) I like it here. Listen, I'm tired. I appreciate all you are offering me. It's just more than I could possibly take. I'm your friend. We have to keep on being friends, and this isn't the way. Now, will you dress like a nice little girl? No. You don't really care anything about me. You're just showing me how naughty you can be. Put the light out. It isn't on account of the neighbors. <laughs> One more stray brought in this apartment house will make the building rock. It's a question of professional pride. <laughs> you know, professional pride. I'm working for your father. He's a sick man, very frail, very helpless. Mm. He sort of trusts me not to pull any stunts. Put the light out. Get dressed, Carmen. 
You fit. I didn't mind what she called me. But this was the room I had to live in. It was all I had in the way of a home. It was everything that was mine that had any association for me, any past, anything that took the place of a family. Not much. A few books, pictures, radio, chessmen, old letters, stuff like that. Nothing. Such as they were, they had all my memories. I couldn't stand her in that room any longer. I gave her three minutes to get out. She went, hissing at me, that sharp sound she made when she was mad, and left me looking at my bed and the imprint of her small, corrupt body on it. I tore the bed to pieces. You can have a hangover from other things than alcohol. I had one from women. Next morning, I still wanted to say the hell with Rusty Regan and the Sternwood daughters. But I couldn't forget Carmen hissing at me and the way she looked. It was like a scene that had been played before. Then a gray sedan followed me all the way to the office. I decided I was tired of being followed. I was tired of being lied to. I wanted some answers. When old General Sternwood hired me to protect his two daughters, Carmen and Vivian, from blackmail, it seemed a simple case. I took the blackmailers off his back, but the questions wouldn't go away. Why was Vivian still afraid? Where was her husband, Rusty Regan? Why was a racketeer like Eddie Mars involved? I'd had a belly full of the Sternwood sisters, but the memory of a dying old man stayed with me. He deserved better. Everybody deserves to die in peace. But I didn't have the answers. A gray sedan had been following me, a small guy in it, alone. It wasn't getting either of us anywhere. I let him follow me down to the office, slid out the back, and walked around to where he was parked. He didn't see me come up till I was beside him. Hey, who are you? I'm the guy you've been following for two days. Who are you? I ain't following anybody, Doc. Then this jalopy is. Uh, maybe you can't control it, huh? Well, I'm not going to be doing anything interesting for the next while. If you have anything that's worrying you beyond endurance, uh, I'll listen. Oh, maybe, maybe you know me. I'm uh, Harry Jones. I don't know you. Well, I've been around. What's your connection, Joe Brody? Key Rice. How did you know that? I'm psychic. Shake your business up and pour it out. I, uh, I got something to sell. Uh, cheap. Uh, a couple of C-notes. Who sent you? Agnes? Yeah. Huh. Well, uh, she says to tell you, Brody had something else on the Sternwoods besides the picture. So? But, uh, that's what your 200 bucks will buy. Uh, Agnes and me gotta get out of town. Oh, she's too big for you, Harry. She'll roll on you and smother you. Hey, that's kind of a dirty crack, brother. You're right. I've been meeting the wrong sort of people lately. What have you to sell? It'll help you find Rusty Regan. Oh, I'm not looking for Rusty Regan. <laughs> Says you. Eddie Mars had Regan bumped off. I wouldn't waste the oxygen arguing with you. Well, what if I told you where Eddie's wife was? I'm interested. What if she never dusted with Regan at all, but is being held about 40 miles outside L.A. so everyone would think she had? Would you pay two C's for that, Seamus? I think I would. Where is she? Agnes found her by a lucky break. 
saw her out driving with Canino and tailed him home. Now, Agnes will tell you where, when she has the money in her hand. Uh, you could tell the coppers this for nothing, Harry. Look, I, I haven't pulled anything. I come in talking two C's, and that's still the price. So we're all grifters, and we sell each other out for a nickel. But I come to you because I thought I'd get a take it or leave it. Now you're waving cops at me. Ah, oh, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You'll get your 200 but I have to get the money first myself. Okay, okay, better after dark. Anyway, now, uh, now here's an address. It's an insurance office, a front for a bookie. I'll take you from there to Agnes. I'll be alone. <laughs> it's a leery job bucking guys like any Mars, but, well, a guy has to eat. See you then, Seamus. Somebody had got there before me. I could hear the voice of Harry Jones. It said a name. Canino. I slid into an office next door and listened. Eddie wants to know. To know what? You followed Marlowe. You talked to him. Why? What, what, what makes it Eddie Mars' business? Eddie wants to know. I, I went on account of Agnes. She's, she's got something and she figures Marlowe might pay for it. Peepers don't give dough to punks. But he said he could raise it. Don't fuss with me, little man. Okay. Brody was trying to peddle a nudist photo of the, of the young Sternwood girl. The girl tried to get it back and took a shot at Brody. Now, Marlowe was there, but he didn't tell the cops. Neither did Agnes. She figures if she did, he would lose his license. And, and that's worth railway fare. This ain't got anything to do with Eddie? Well, sh show me how. Where's this Agnes at? She, she's my girl now, Canino. I don't put my girl in the middle for anybody. Where's Agnes? Go ahead and blast me and see what it gets you. The Chicago overcoat is what it could get you, little man. Where's Agnes? Oh, okay. Uh, 28 Court Street up on Bunker Hill. You got good sense. I, I guess I'm yellow. Let's have a drink. You got a glass? All I want to find out is she's dummying up on you. If not, everything is Jake aloof. You can put the bite on the peeper and be on your way. Let's dip the bill. Success. No hard feelings? Uh, no, Camille. Moths in your ermine, as the lady says. Well, you ain't sick from one drink, are you, pal? So long, little man. I had no gun, so I had to let Canino go. I smelled the bottle. The odor of bitter almonds. Harry Jones, dying, had vomited down his coat. Cyanide. I had a vision of Canino driving fast through rain to another appointment with death. I called information for a phone number for the Court Street address, then made police noises at the apartment manager. No, Agnes. Harry had lied and drunk his cyanide like a little gentleman. He died like a poisoned rat, but he was no rat to me. It occurred to me that Mr. Canino is the kind of self-confident gentleman who would not mind returning to the scene of his crime. Yeah? Is Harry around? Uh, not for a minute, Agnes. Who's talking? Marlowe. Well, where's Harry? I came over to give him the money. The offer still holds. Where are you? 
You got the money? Two hundred. It's all there. Okay. Brody and I were out driving Sunday before last. Saw Eddie Marr's wife and Canino out for air. Joe tailed them back to east of Rialito. That's orange country, but just there, it's bare as hell's backyard, except for a cyanide plant where they make the stuff for fumigation. There's a garage run by a G named Art Huck. Deals in hot cars for Eddie Mars. Behind that is a frame house. That's where she's holed up. Canino's the watchdog. Well, that's it. Goodbye, Peeper. And wish me luck. I got a raw deal. Like hell you did. In the end, fate stage-managed the whole thing. I was fooled by the dark and the rain and went off the road and burst two tires just beyond Rialito. And the only garage was that run by Art Huck. So I took one of my two guns from the hidden dashboard compartment in my car and splashed to his door. I could see the frame house beyond, light in two front windows. Canino's car sat in front. What are you on? I've got two flats back on the highway. I need help. Sorry, Mr. Wicklow. Oh, come on. This is a hell of a night. Try real The guy's in a jam, Art. You run a garage, don't you? Okay, come in. Two flat tires, huh? That's tough. A stranger in town? Traveling through on the way to L.A., how far is it? Forty miles. Seems longer in this weather. Where from? Santa Rosa. Come the long way? Any law against it? No. Nah. Get a jack and get his flats out. It's raining. You might have noticed. All right. Move. The teamwork was very nice. I didn't see the signal. Art picked up a tire tube and slammed it down over my head and shoulders so I couldn't move my arms. Canino came almost dancing towards me, without sound, without expression. I tried to lift my hands, but his fist went through them like a stone through a cloud of dust. I had the stunned moment of shock when the lights danced and the visible world went out of focus but was still there. Then there was nothing but hard, aching, white light. Then darkness, in which something red wriggled. Then just darkness and emptiness. And a rushing wind and a falling as of great trees. There was this woman. She was so platinum that her hair shone like a silver fruit bowl. I moved my head a little. It hurt, but not more than I expected. I was trussed like a turkey ready for the oven. How do you feel? Great. Somebody built a filling station on my jaw. What'd you expect, Marlowe? Orchids? And just a plain pine box. Uh, don't bother with bronze or silver handles. And don't scatter my ashes over the blue Pacific. I like worms better. Did you know that worms are of both sexes and that any worm can love any other worm? So you're a detective. How did you know? You slept well. They had plenty of time to go through your pockets. They did everything but embalm you. What time is it? Five. Do you have a date? What are the boys doing? Digging a grave? They had to go somewhere. You mean they left you here alone? You don't look dangerous at the moment. Besides, you don't know much. I know who you are. And I'm afraid you're in a bad spot. From your husband, Eddie Mars? I hate killing. How about a drink? My blood's going round like a tenant looking for a house. Yeah. 
Why'd you have to come here and stick your neck out? Eddie wasn't doing any wrong. You know, if I hadn't hid out here, the police would have been convinced Eddie murdered Rusty. He did murder him. That's a lie. Anyway, it's none of your business. The whole thing is my business. I'm hired to find out. It is not that sort. You like racketeers. As long as people want to gamble, there'll be places for him to gamble. You think he's just a gambler? I think he's a pornographer, a blackmailer, a hot car broker, a killer by remote control, and a suborner of crooked cops. He's whatever has the cabbage pinned to it. Don't try to sell me on any high-souled racketeers. They don't come in that pattern. Eddie's not a killer. Yes, Canino. Canino killed a man tonight. A harmless little guy was trying to help somebody out. I don't believe you. You know what Canino's going to do to me. Beat my teeth out and then kick me in the stomach for mumbling. At least you'll be quiet. I want to think. Isn't platinum hair out of style? It's a wig, silly. While my own hair grows out. See? Nice. Who cut it off for you? I did it myself. To show Eddie I love him. Good. To show him I was willing to do whatever he wanted me to do. To hide out that he didn't need to have me guarded. I wouldn't let him down. I love him. But you've just met me, Silverwig. You're a kick. Kidding with every breath the spot you're in. What spot? I have your word, Eddie's no killer. Why did you come here? A little bird named Harry Jones led me to you. A little bird that used to hop in and out of bars, picking up horse bets for crumbs. Information, too. This little bird picked up an idea about Canino, and it led to you. He came to me to sell. I got his information, but Canino got the little bird. He's a dead little bird now, with his feathers ruffled and his neck limp and a pearl of blood on his beak. But Eddie Mars wouldn't do that, would he, Silverwig? He never killed anybody. He just hires it done. I don't believe you. You believe me. No. You know Canino. Canino's going to kill me. No. What happened to Rusty Regan? Eddie didn't kill Rusty. Eddie doesn't kill anybody. Maybe he just hides the body. You'll find Rusty alive and well when he wants to be found. But you left Eddie for I him. I haven't seen Rusty for months. He, he just went away. And you're not a prisoner down here? Why did you have to come here? I hate killing, Silverweed. <laughs> Get out of here. You've got to get out. <laughs> Quick. Uh, thanks for cutting the ropes. I brought these handcuffs. Canino has the key. Then let's go. You better come with no. me. You can't stay here after turning me loose. Very funny. You see, I still love him. Isn't that funny? Huh? Women. You've got to come with me. You know I'm not going. When you get away, keep quiet for a few hours. You owe me that much. You're going to wait for Canino to come back to say so sorry? I'm not afraid of him. I'm still his boss's wife. Eddie Mars is a handful of mush. Canino would take him with a teaspoon. The only time a girl like you goes for a wrong G is when he is a handful of mush. Get out. You're clear. Get out, please. Please. Kiss me once, Silverweed. You're cold. Your lips are ice. Cold? I ran through the rain. My raincoat was open in front, and I couldn't button it with the handcuffs on, even with my hands in front of me. The skirts of it flapped against my legs like the wings of a large and tired bird. I found my car and took the other gun out of the hidden compartment. I had a picture of Canino driving back jauntily through the rain, having made sure Art had got rid of the hot car in the garage. They would leave no evidence. 
He was sure I was in the house, all wrapped up, ready to mail. I stood in the rain. All I had to do was wait in the darkness till he got out of his car and blast him. I couldn't do it. I watched him go into the house. I had to get him out again. I went over and started his car. Walk in front of me, doll. Slow. Can you see him? It's too dark. I can see nothing. Stay in front of me. Walk to the car. I see him. In the car, behind the wheel. Goodbye, peeper. Hey, Canino. Over here. Marlo! Thanks, Silver Week. The sunlight was so bright it danced as I walked up to the Sternwood place. The birds in the ornamental trees were crazy with song after the rain. The terraced lawns were as green as the Irish flag. The night above the door had still not rescued the lady. It was five days since I had rung the bell for the first time. It felt like a year. Sit down, Mr. Marlowe. You'll excuse me receiving you in bed. I've not been too well lately. You, you may smoke. I know. I'll uh, blow it around. I did not ask you to look for Regan. You wanted me to, though. I usually ask for what I want. I feel you betrayed a trust. I want to give you your money back. Why? I didn't do the job. I was convinced you put Geiger up to me as a test. You were afraid Regan was involved in the blackmail. You wanted to know, so I kept looking. Do you consider that ethical? I do. You don't know what I have to go through, over or under, to do your job for you. I do it my way. I do my best to protect you, and I may break a few rules, but I break them in your favor. This case isn't over with Geiger. I'm not Sherlock Holmes. I don't expect to go over ground the police have covered, pick up a broken penpoint, and build a case out of it. Cops don't overlook things, but they don't play hunches. Am I to understand you are still trying to solve the puzzle? No, I've been warned off. I quit. That's why I want to give you your money back. It isn't a completed job. Find him. I'll pay you another thousand just to know if Rusty is all right or if he needs anything. Am I clear? Yes, General. I... I guess I'm sentimental and... No soldier at all, but I took a fancy to that boy. Find him for me, Marlowe. Find him. He had his eyes shut before I reached the door. He looked a lot more like a dead man than most dead men look. I went to pay a call on Carmen to return her little gun. The last time I had seen her was when I threw her out of my bed, so I wasn't sure how she would greet me. <laughs> Marlo, you're not mad at me. 
She gave me that look that's supposed to make me roll over on my back with all four paws in the air. I gave her some advice about not using a gun to shoot at people. She asked me to teach her how to shoot. She took me to a deserted place, some old oil wells of the families. Carmen had a secret, naughty look. The place, a secret, dirty look. Ah, this the place you had in mind? Mm-hmm. Ugh. The smell from that old sump would poison goats. <laughs> Otherwise, as derelict oil rigs go, it's beautiful. <laughs> You're cute. Yeah. Give me my gun now. There you are, all clean and loaded. I'll put a tin can up as a target. Over on that old wheel there, okay? Now, don't start shooting until I get back beside you, remember? Okay. Now, I'm going to put the can on the hub, then if you don't hit it, the wheel will stop the bullet. How's that? Think you can hit that? Carmen? Stand there, you son of a bitch! All right, all right, all right. Just let me get my handkerchief between your teeth. Oh, that's it. Take it easy. My, but you are cute, Carmen. I don't think you would have missed me with a single one of those if they had been real bullets. What sort of a brute are you, Marlowe? You killed a man last night. Now you come here and frighten my kid sister into a fit. What did you do to her? What has Eddie Mars got on you? I told you not to ask me that. What happened to Carmen? Seemed like a mild, epileptic fit to me. She has them once in a while. Do you know a man named Canino? I seem to vaguely remember the name. That's who I killed last night. How did you hear about it? Never mind. It all ties together. Geiger and his blackmail, Brody and his pictures, Eddie Mars, Canino, and all the little dead people who got in the way, and you. Eddie Mars was behind the blackmail. He was testing your father to see what he knew. But your father sent for me, which meant he wasn't afraid, which meant he didn't know what really happened to Regan. So Eddie couldn't blackmail him for a lot of money in a hurry. He had to wait for you to inherit the millions. Am I boring you? You tire me. Your father offered me a thousand dollars this morning to find Regan. Why? That's a lot of money to me, but I can't do it. Why not? This is Carmen's gun. She fired all five chambers at me in her fit. Too bad I had it loaded with blanks. I had a hunch she would do it if she got the chance. You're a horrible man. You're her big sister. You can't prove this. What? You were alone with her down at the oil wells. It's only your word for it. I was thinking of another time. A time when there were real bullets in it. When she asked Rusty down there to teach her how to shoot. And he put up a can and turned around for her to shoot him. Just like today. And for the same reason. What reason? Do I really have to tell you? Yes, I'm afraid you do. Night before last, I came home to find her in my bed, naked. I threw her out. I guess maybe Regan did the same. But you can't do that to Carmen. I suppose you want money. How much? Fifteen thousand dollars. Just what Rusty had on him. Is that what Canino got for disposing of the body after you went to Eddie Mars for help? You son of a bitch. Yeah. I'm a very smart guy. I'm so money-greedy that for 25 bucks a day, I do my thinking for myself what there is of it. I risk my whole future, the hatred of cops and racketeers. I dodge bullets and eat saps and say thank you very much. If you have any more trouble, I hope you'll think of me. I'll just leave one of my cards in case. All for 25 bucks a day. 
And maybe a little to protect what pride a sick old man has left in the thought that his blood is not poison. That his two little girls are a trifle wild, as many nice girls are these days, but they are not perverts or killers. And that makes me a son of a bitch. All right. I don't care anything about that. You offer me 15 grand. That makes me a big shot. For that, I could own a house, a new car, four suits of clothes. I might even take a vacation without worrying about losing a case. That's fine. What are you offering it to me for? Will you put her away? Somewhere where they will keep guns and fancy drinks away from her? Hell, she might even get herself cured. It's been done. He's in the sump down at the old oil wells. She came home and told me about it just like a child. I know if Dad found out, he'd call the police and then sometime in the night he'd die. Rusty wasn't a bad fella. I, I didn't love him. Oh, it was all right, I guess. He just didn't mean anything to me compared with keeping it from Dad. So you let her run around loose? I was playing for time. Demars was the only one could help me. Go take her away. And do it damn quick. I'll give you three days or I'll spill the story. I don't know what to say to you. I don't know how to begin. See that she's watched every minute. I promise. What about Eddie? I'll handle Eddie. He'll try to kill you. His best boy couldn't. I'll take a chance on that. Marlowe. Put her away. What did it matter where you lay once you were dead? In a dirty sump or in a marble tower on top of a high hill? You were sleeping the big sleep. You were not bothered by things like that. Oil and water were the same as wind and air to you. You just slept the big sleep, not caring about the nastiness of how you died or where you fell. Me? I was part of the nastiness now, but the old man didn't have to be. He could lie quiet in his canopied bed with his bloodless hands folded on the sheet, waiting. His heart was a brief, uncertain murmur. His thoughts were as gray as ashes. And in a little while, he too, like Rusty Regan, would be sleeping the big sleep. The double scotches weren't doing me any good. The headlines said a war was coming. Civilization was being threatened once again. I had more scotch. All it did was make me think of Silverwig, and I never saw her again. In Bill Morrison's radio adaptation of Raymond Chandler's novel, The Big Sleep, Ed Bishop played the part of Philip Marlowe, and Robert Beatty that of General Sternwood. Vivian was played by Diana Olson, Carmen Liza Ross, Eddie Mars, Paul Maxwell, Bernie Oles, Harry Taub, Agnes Nicolette McKenzie, Joe Brody, Blaine Fairman, Mona Irene Sutcliffe, Carl Lundgren, Weston Gavin, Taggart Wild, Rod Beecham, Harry Jones, Don Fellows, Canino, Peter Marinker and Captain Kronjaeger, Henry Knowles. Other parts were played by Malcolm Gerard and Walter Hall. Music consultant, 
Adrian Edwards. The play was directed by John Tideman. From September 26, 1977, as originally broadcast over there in Britain, good old jolly England, as they say here in the States at any rate, uh, that was the great Raymond Chandler story, The Big Sleep, starring Ed Bishop doing the Philip Marlowe part on the radio, and I think he did a really good job, too. Well, friends, we hope you enjoyed tonight's excursion from our normal frivolity, our normal great sounds of music and guilty. And, uh, yeah, that, well, I guess that's why we call a special edition of Sounds Like Radio, one of our vast library of sound editions. Yes, coming straight from one of my tapes. And now, here we are on Sounds Like Radio. Hope you enjoyed it. Philip Marlowe's Big Sleep, the very first book in the Raymond Chandler series of Philip Marlowe books, and I read them all from, I believe there were seven novels altogether, and Big Sleep was first. You know, also Raymond Chandler, before he did the novels, he also wrote several short stories of private detectives, in particular he also wrote short stories of Philip Marlowe. Yeah, but they are all the private detectives he wrote of all were in the Philip Marlowe mode. So, even though they weren't named Philip Marlowe in some of his stories, they were still like Philip Marlowe. And there were several short stories of Philip Marlowe with his name. So, anyway, Raymond Chandler was busy with Philip Marlowe, but not that busy. He didn't write as many stories of Philip Marlowe as Rick Stout wrote of Nero Wolfe. Well, be that as it may, that is our special edition here of the Vast Library of Sound on Sounds Like Radio. We hope you enjoyed it. Do tune in again next time when we'll have more mystery and adventure for you. Our special editions from Sounds Like Radio, direct from our Vast Library of Sound. I am your humble host, listening along with you and enjoying them just as much. Till next time... Goodbye, everybody.